0: Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for how good you are. Lord, your word says in Psalm 32, When I refused to confess my sins, my my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in summer heat. Finally, I confessed my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a redeemer. Lord, that you take our guilt and our shame. Lord, and they are not heavy in your hands. God, but that you look at our lives as something of worth. Lord, our lives as as a, a life that is a beautiful tapestry of gifts and talents. Lord, of personality and stories. God, and that when we come to you and we confess our sins, Lord, you are faithful. Lord, we know exactly what happened this week. God, we know the ways, the things that we walked through this week, the lies that maybe crept in this week. But Lord, every Sunday morning is in a time for us to recalibrate our hearts towards you, to draw near to the throne of grace and say, Lord, Here I am, trusting that you love me and that you have a plan in the midst of whatever I'm facing. Lord Jesus, this morning as we dive into our next week of this sermon series, Lord, can we have absolutely no hindrance between your truth and our hearts? Lord, would you pierce our hearts with whatever you need to do? God, and would we be available enough to hear it? God, we love you so much. We thank you for this snow, Lord, this cold, cold, cold snow. (laughs) Lord, and we thank you that just like this snow falls, God, so is your grace new every single morning. God, so are your mercies every single morning. Jesus, we love you so much. Would you be a bad anchor today? In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can have a seat. Well, good morning. You braved the blizzard <laughs> uh, <laughs> the other day. My friend, I visited my friend in Oklahoma, and she said, uh, "Snow blizzard," and I said, "That sounds like somebody who's never experienced a blizzard, because there's no other real kind of blizzard except for a snow blizzard." Um, and she said, "No, yeah, yeah," and I was like, "No, it's just snow. It's just snow and wind and." Cold and hatred. Um, But uh, thank you so much for braving the snow. My name is Lindsay. I'm the pastor here. If I haven't met you already, I would just like to welcome you into this group of weirdos. Um, I'm excited this morning because we're diving into our next sermon of My Big Fat Mouth. And I was thinking about how to start this sermon, and one of the stories that popped into my brain uh, was when DVDs came out. And that might date me either like too young or too old. I wasn't really sure. Uh, But I remember when DVDs came out, and I specifically remember sitting on the couch at my friend Rachel's house and saying to Rachel, why would a disc ever be necessary? We have VHSs, right? I was like, why would I, I would never spend that much money on something that can take a disc. And it's like laughable now, isn't it? Everybody's like like VHSs are just coating the walls of every thrift store in America. Um, I, I found some other people that maybe were skeptical when new inventions came out. Listen to this one. It says, "A development of which we need waste, little time dreaming of." People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. That was said about our first television. Somehow we have not gotten bored of staring at a plywood box, right? Uh, (laughs) Listen to this one. Obvious limitations of this device, which is hardly more than a toy. That was actually Western Union denying business from Alexander Graham Bell. (laughs) Uh, All right, don't worry, it gets worse. (laughs) Remote shopping or online shopping, while entirely feasible, will flop because women like to get out of the house, like to handle merchandise, and like to be able to change their minds. And I would just like to rebuke that, um, because I can attest that. In 2012, American shoppers spent $231 billion shopping online. And that was six years ago. That was before Amazon delivered your groceries to your front door, right? And this last one's probably my favorite. Cellular phones. (laughs) Well, absolutely not replace local wire systems. Even if you project it beyond our lifetimes, it won't be cheap enough. Right? How many of you guys even have a landline anymore? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It will soon be a thing of the past. Uh, uh, But we have a knack for being kind of these criticizer, naysayer people, don't we? You know, something that seems so ridiculous for us to get And then suddenly, we can't imagine life without it. And we have a tendency, dare I say it, to be naysayers. And this, this is just boring stuff. But then you add social media into the mix, right? And then all of a sudden, people are added into the mix and woof, right? You know, I can't believe that she would post that. Uh, You know, I know they can't afford that vacation. Or, I can't believe that's how they're raising their kids. Or, oh my goodness, if I have to see one more sensi post, I'm going to scream. <laughs> uh, I want to welcome you to week two of My Big Fat Mouth. And last week, we talked through complaining, and that sermon has haunted my dreams. Um, it's become the thing, like, complaining has become just like hearing a cuss word now to me. Uh, but this week, we're diving into something that... Maybe is a little less common for us to think about. And that is criticizing. And we all think, finally, my spouse is gonna get theirs, right? <laughs> but finally, my friend is gonna get to hear the sermon that they need to hear. And before you plan on sending this podcast uh, to your boss or your coworker, let's remind ourselves this is not called. Their big fat mouth. What is this called? My big fat mouth. And that's the thing about criticism is that it's really difficult to see in the mirror, isn't it? You know Because when other people criticize us, man, that's messed up. You know that's not like Jesus, right? Uh, but when we criticize other people, we're justified in it. you know? I mean, if they weren't so annoying, if they weren't so stupid, if they didn't have such a weird sense of humor, if they weren't in debt so much, if they weren't, like, look different and act, ask weird questions to me, I just wouldn't have to say these things. Because we know best. <laughs> it's uh, awkwardly a little silent when I said that. but So maybe this is hitting somewhere close to home, maybe not. Uh, but I want to define our term before we head into our sermon today, and that is criticism is not feedback. Uh, I get to coach a lot of people at this church, and when I provide feedback, I try to give them things that are going to keep spurring them onward. Criticism for our conversation today is ungrounded, unencouraging, unobjective opinion that we give away freely without regard. I'm going to read it one more time. Ungrounded, unencouraging, unobjective opinion that we give away freely without regard. See, criticism usually starts with, okay, I just gotta say. Or, I love you, honey, but, hmm. You know, or, listen here. And what I want to do is, I want to start by looking at a very famous verse that even if you're not a Christian, you probably have heard this verse. But I would venture to say that maybe you don't know what comes right after it. In Galatians 5, verse 14, it says, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. So basically what this scripture says is stop getting a little toothy, right? Uh, Don't be biting at one another. And the Greek words that are used here is kata and estheo which mean thoroughly consume. Do not thoroughly consume one another. And you guys thought zombies weren't in the Bible, (laughs) right? Do not thoroughly consume one another. And it says that we have the capacity with our words to thoroughly consume, to destroy and to steal with our words. So what if, like go here with me, what if, Our critical words could be destroying the intimacy that we have with our spouse. What if your critical words are separating between you and your kids? What if your critical words are separating you between you and the people that need Jesus? What are we thoroughly consuming? And you have to understand, like, devour, to devour something, you have to have an appetite for it, don't you? You know, nobody devours 12 tacos from Taco Bell unless they have a divine hankering for indigestion, okay? (laughs) You know, uh, nobody goes out of their way to devour something unless they have an appetite for it. Uh, Proverbs 12, it says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise, they bring healing. So today I have a simple goal. I want to shift us away from words that bite to words that heal. And I want to do this uh, through looking at a story in the Bible. It's going to be in John chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and one of my friends will bring you a Bible. Um, But if you want to turn there to John chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teacher of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. So let's set this scene. So Jesus is starting to gain traction, right? He's starting to get followers, and he goes to the temple early in the morning, and a bunch of people go just to listen to what he has to say. And in the middle of that, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they find a woman who is caught in the act of adultery this is just as graphic as if there were zombies in the bible and they bring her into the middle of the temple and the pharisees interrupt the word of god being spoken by god himself and say hold up hold up hold up and so that's where we find our first point today and that is judgment always interrupts god's movement Criticism always interrupts God's movement. Before we even get to the climax of this story, let's put ourselves in the listener's shoes. You know, maybe you heard that Jesus was coming to the temple. So, you know, you like wipe the boogies out of your eyes and stretch and run down to the temple so you can hear what this man has to say. And I imagine that if Jesus showed up on Sunday morning at Anchor, that would be so cool. All right, um, he would get up here. You know, we all would get saved like twelve times. You know, we would we would be crying, we would be convicted, we would be inspired, and in the midst of all Jesus is doing all of this, the religious leaders drag a woman into the front of the crowd and say, "Stop." I remember when I was graduating college, I started to look for jobs and. Uh, Female pastors are not necessarily a popular thing when I started and I remember I sent out resume after resume and I'm a graphic designer so they looked like really good in my opinion. Uh, uh, They also had a lot of things. I won awards for preaching and all those things and I remember getting countless responses that said Lindsay we're just looking for a male role model for our teens. And that completely crushed me because you don't even know me. And yet, it halted the movement of God in my life for a second. Now, let's be honest, it doesn't stop there. You know, I I went on, and all those people said, coulda, woulda, shoulda. We planted, like, the coolest church in Colorado Springs, right? Um, But criticism, when it's not grounded in truth, it has the potential to halt God's movement to hit pause. And that's what these Pharisees are doing. Look here with me in Proverbs 15. It says, gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Have you ever noticed that one person's comment can change the environment in an entire room? One mean thing, one bad thing, and all of a sudden everybody's on edge. If you don't believe me, think back to the last time you asked your spouse when they took the garbage out, right? Right? Or maybe for single folks, the last time you asked your friend, you know, hey, it's time to go back to the gym. <laughs> right? You know? uh, one single comment, it has the power to change the climate of the room. And I think of this in terms of a car. You know, you have words, and you can choose to either put water, or gasoline in your friend's car. What are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to give them something that spurs them forward? Or are you going to create something that stalls them out? Let's jump back in, verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something, they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. This is where we find our next point, is that criticism is pride disguised as concern. Criticism is pride disguised as concern. Earlier we talked about how our words, they can devour people, and how we don't devour things without an appetite for it. And I'll tell you, like, You and I, we don't crave flesh, all right? We're not like brains or anything. Uh, We don't crave to devour people. But what we do crave and what we do have an appetite for is for ourselves to look better. Uh, we, We don't crave for our neighbors to be belittled. We crave that we would feel better about who we are. Oswald Chambers, he puts it this way. He says, Criticism serves to make you harsh vindictive and cruel, and leaves you with the soothing and flattering idea that you are somehow superior to others. Because we know best. (laughs) And it's the lie that we fall into today, it's the same lie that the Pharisees fell into years ago, that we know best, and that if everybody would just fall in line, life would be easier. (laughs) And in order to understand this, you have to look at an Old Testament reference, Jeremiah 17. It says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust, because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Now, in this verse, uh, it it explains what would happen if somebody were to be caught in the act of adultery. Uh, They would be brought into the temple and I say they very intentionally because we all know it takes two to tango, okay? They would be brought into the center of the temple, and the witnesses that witnessed the act would also be brought in. And the priest would, more than often, he would kneel down, and he would start writing the laws that they had violated in the dust on the ground. And next to them, they would put the names of the accusers. And it's because of this that many theologians believe that when Jesus knelt down and started drawing in the dust, he started writing the names of the Pharisees that brought this woman in. Look what happens. It says, They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. See, judgment and and critical words, they are divisive. They draw lines. They make us into us and them. But hope, hope is inclusive. Hope is inclusive. Look what Jesus says here in this pivotal moment. He says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, when we we speak the hope in truth and love and in grace, it has the power to be inclusive. It has the power uh, to diminish barriers between us and them, Uh, between us and who Jesus wants us to talk to. Uh, It has the power to bring people close to him. It has the power to unlock doors that we have slammed in their faces. And Jesus sits face to face with a woman who is stuck in the lie that this sin is going to make her happy. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And if we're honest with each other, we all have those moments. We had a moment when we were stuck in the worst sin of our lives. We were stuck in the worst of the worst, at the lowest point that we've ever had, when when nobody would blame Jesus for walking away, for throwing a stone, or just giving up on us. And he looks at us in a way that only a father said, and he said, Neither do I condemn you. I want to be like that. I want to be the person that is inclusive. Isn't that the story of humanity itself? Of a God that kneels down and says, neither do I condemn you, my child. I love you so much. Ephesians 4, verse 29. It says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. See, hope is inclusive, and criticism is divisive. Critical words will be divisive, no matter what our intentions are. Because I have never met a single person that was like, they're super critical, and I want to be like them, right? I've never met a person and thought, man, they hate so many people. Someday, that's going to be me, you know? Uh, and we are not, we don't want to be those people. We want to be people that are filled with hope and warmth, people that, that fill each other's tanks up and propel them forward. Uh, we want to be the spark that the other person needed, but we will never be those people if we are constantly looking for the faults in our brothers and sisters, if we are constantly looking for the ways that they mess up. We will never be those people. So you were given a stone as you came in this morning. Would you take that out right now? I think that if we're honest, when we think about criticizing others, it's more than just a concept, but more often than not, we see a face. You know, maybe we see our spouse. Maybe we see our coworker. Maybe we see our friend or people in our family. We see those people. Listen, each one of us has the power and has the ability to devour those folks. We have the capacity to throw the stone. We have the capacity to be the people that we've never wanted to turn into. I want you to look at at that rock in your hands. Who does that represent? The common thread that you're gonna find between my person and your person is that they're all people that Jesus wants you to be a light to. Oh, that's so inconvenient, isn't it? They're all people that Jesus wants you to be the spark in. They're all people that that Jesus wants you to fill up their tank, to encourage them, to spur them onward. But we ain't never going to get there with stones in our hands and faults in our eyes, because I'll let you in on a little secret. If you look for faults in people, you're going to find them. But if you look for the good, you'll find that too. Where do you find yourself being a fault finder this morning? Maybe uh, this rock represents a whole group of people that maybe you have discounted or you have criticized. The enemy would love for you to believe that those people are your enemies. That's what the Pharisees wanted Jesus to believe, that she was an enemy of God. But the, the truth of the matter is is that we're all on the same team. We're all on the same team. So I want to welcome you into a time of prayer and just reflection uh, I, I want to welcome you into a time of reflecting on the truth of who God is on how what he does with stones which is not throw them we're going to open the altars during this time and I want to just welcome you into a posture of prayer whether that means kneeling or standing, if it means sitting in your chair, if it means standing and raising your hands, whatever that looks like So would you take that posture with me right now? Lord Jesus, I am so sorry that I have fallen into the lie that maybe I know better. God, each person that these stones represent, Lord, you see them. You see them as your children. God, sometimes it's hard for me to see that. It's hard for me to see the world how you see it. Lord, and if I'm honest, I say the things that I know I would never say in front of you. God, I want to be on the same team. Lord, I want to be on the same team in my marriage. God, I want to be on the same team with my coworkers. Lord Jesus, I have the capacity to throw this stone. And sometimes I have really good aim. God, but we want to surrender those this morning. We want to trust that that you have a plan that is bigger than us that you have wisdom that is grander than ours lord and that you you have grace lord jesus your word says that that we 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 can boldly approach the throne of grace god may we do this in this moment Lord, as we enter into a time of worship and prayer, God, I ask that that you would deal with us. God, in the same way that, that you dealt with the adulterer, it says, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin.